Would you turn again to that portion we read in 2 Timothy chapter 1? Second Timothy chapter one. We read from verse nine, who hath saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Saviour Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. In particular, these words in verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things, Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Paul is writing to his young friend, Timothy, and it's always good to see a bond between the old and young Christians. And of course, while Timothy was much younger than Paul, it didn't stop uh, there being a bond between them uh, because of uh, the shared faith that they had. But there was also an equality, although they were different in age between them, because both were ministers of the gospel. But we see here that Paul, being the more experienced man, that he is seeking to advise his young colleague, and he is obviously concerned for him. He is concerned as to how he will manage certain situations that may arise in his experience. He is obviously concerned how to deal with problems, uh, as we have it in uh, verse 8, he says, Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner. It would seem that some were ashamed uh, of uh, the apostle and him being in chains, as we read in verse 15, regarding others that are brought before us here as well, Phygelus and Hermogenes, who were ashamed of Paul and being embarrassed by the fact that he was now in chains in prison. And so he is saying to him, to Timothy, that uh, he must not be uh, ashamed in any way whatsoever the problems are, that he is not to be uh, ashamed as he himself was not ashamed. So he writes this letter, and as he writes it, he would be basing his remarks then on his own experience. And out of that experience, he is able to give advice to his younger colleague. And that, friends, often is the case. While there is an equality with uh, all believers, whether you're a Christian for a 
a day or for uh, 50 years. There is an equality in one sense, but there's also the obvious experience that comes from those who have been following the Lord a long time. And that experience should be passed on and should be done with care and concern and love, not in a censorious way, but rather in a way that would be loving and caring. The experience month, it happens in every area of life. Whatever employment a person has, if somebody's been in that work for a long time, obviously he's going to be able to pass good advice to those who have just arrived, as it were, on the scene. And so he is basing his remarks here on his own experience, how he himself had faced many difficulties. And yet, by God's grace, he is saying he was able to uh, deal with them and he was able to face them. And so he says, though he suffered, I am not ashamed because he knows whom he believed in and so on. And so Paul writes as one, also notice, who has great assurance of faith, despite all that he endured. Nevertheless, his faith is there, his assurance is there. And whatever comes his way reminds us of that well-known, quoted often enough in Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And that was how it was with the apostle here. So then, friends, to look this morning at this uh, situation between Paul and Timothy and the advice, and to look at it under four different points. First of all, we can consider his assurance in his suffering, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. He is assured here because he says also in verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentile, for the which cause I also suffer. Because of his position, because of who he was, and because of obviously what he was teaching and showing whose side he was on. He was suffering because of that. No, friends, it can be that you and I at times can have our assurance shaken as we face many difficulties in this life. Maybe some difficult providence that has come your way. And maybe even as a Christian, you wonder about why is God allowing this into my experience? Why has this happened to me? What is the purpose for it? And you may begin to have your assurance shaken in that way because of difficult providences. It may be at times also because of unjust persecution. And how often we see the apostle, and yea, even the Lord Jesus himself, unjust persecution. And you may know something of that as well, that you wonder why certain things are said against you, why people think certain things of you. And it may shake you of your assurance at times, and you wonder what is going on here, why is it? But also, Assurance can be shaken with another revelation, as it were, that we have. And that is often when we come to see something of the sinfulness of our own lives and the sinfulness of our own hearts. Can that sometimes not be the greatest problem that we have? Or the pain 
and the agony of realizing that sin is still so much in your life. Maybe having come into, come into faith and trust in the Lord, that you then feel, well, all these things are behind, and maybe it was. At the beginning of our experience, everything changed, and we thought that sin was gone maybe forever. But it doesn't take very long until we're faced with the reality of it, and we are troubled by it. You think, oh, I had thought I left these things behind. And now you suffer in your soul as you find it has come to the fore again. It may be through a devilish satanic attack, or as is more often the case, it comes through our own weakness and our own unfaithfulness and our own unwatchfulness. You let down your guard and you suffer as you realize you've let the Lord down. And that can be the greatest of suffering. Oh, I've let the Lord down once again. I have not been as faithful as I should have been. Do you know what that is like in your own experience? Well, these sufferings will be there. And I believe here, when we, remember when Paul speaks about in Romans 7 there, how a struggle he was going through himself. Oh, wretched man that I am. It wasn't that all was a bed of roses for him. Right through, he seems to have suffered many things. That there was an attack, as it were, on him at times in his own soul. It was on account of that continual fight between the flesh and the spirit in him that these situations he speaks about. He knew the trials. He knew what it was to be tempted as much as and certainly even more than any of us will. However, despite all that he went through and all the questions, at the end of the day, it didn't shake his trust and his assurance that the Lord was his God. His persuasion was there. The persuasion that comes across elsewhere that nothing shall separate him from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There's assurance. Nothing shall separate. And that's how you and I must be, friends. When we are faced with trials, and we are faced with difficulties, and we are faced with accusations of all kind, here is where it goes back to, the assurance of knowing the Lord. For him, here it is, as we said, because he was a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, that he was preaching the things of God, that he was witnessing to his Lord. And because of that, he was suffering. He suffered many things. When you think of him, that he was hated by the Jews. He is seen as a traitor of their religion. There he was, we read in verse 8, that he was lying in prison. That he was there in so many ways that they would despise him for that. All these things were before him. And we read elsewhere of him being shipwrecked and at times also being stoned and beaten even. But did this put him off, fulfilling his calling? Not in the least bit. He still had that assurance, that trust in his Lord. Oh, yes, he knew that suffering was there. And he knew that suffering would be there. But he continued. 
Surely he would have known of what the Lord had said of him to Ananias. Remember? When he was being called at the beginning, the Lord sent Ananias to him. He is a chosen vessel. And he says, I will show him, the Lord said to Ananias, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Isn't it interesting? At the very outset, that was set before him. I will show him how he must suffer for my name's sake. What a calling at the beginning. Calling you to follow me, but you're going to suffer because of it. It wasn't calling you to follow me and you'll have an easy time and life will be easy and there'll be no problems. But in the following and in your putting his faith and trust in the Lord, there has to be, there will be suffering for my name's sake. And nothing much has changed, friends, in many situations. But nevertheless, for the apostle, nothing shook his assurance that the Lord was his God. Through all these things, through all that suffering, through all these difficulties, he knew this. Well, you say, does that mean that if I'm a real Christian, that I should always have that assurance, that I should always have doubts, and that I should never allow difficulties in my life to come between me and the Lord? Well, friends, remember this. It can be at times that your assurance can be lost for a time even. But your faith cannot be. Your faith cannot be. And therefore, that's why we can say that assurance, while greatly valued, assurance is not of the essence of faith. Assurance is not of the essence of faith. We all love to have assurance. And we'd all love to have full assurance. And it is a blessing to have it. And yes, we should seek after it. But when we have about assurance is shaken at any time, it does not mean and should not come to the conclusion, therefore, I cannot be a Christian. And times of suffering in one way or another will be always the lot of any who take up the cross and follow Christ. There will be suffering. There will be different. But one thing is sure about the Christian. While the Christian may suffer and he will, he should never be ashamed. Never be ashamed. As Paul wasn't, even in the times of his greatest sufferings, he's still fully assured. We'll look at that later on. So we see then there is suffering, but you can have assurance even in the greatest suffering. Because the eye of faith looks beyond the difficulties and lifts up to the one who is your assurance. You can know that in your own experience. And then he goes on secondly then. He says, I suffer many things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed. We have something similar. Peter says something similar in First Peter 4. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. And that's what we have something of here. Yes, you will suffer. Yes, you may have terrible suffering. But so what? 
is what Paul is saying. And he's saying to Timothy, that will come your way. So what? No need to be ashamed. It is part of being a Christian. Suffering comes with it. And Paul said elsewhere, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ in Romans 1. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Despite all that he suffered. Despite all that had forsaken him. Think of Demas and Alexander and Hymenaeus and the two that we have here in verse 15. Phygelus and Hermogenes. They had all forsaken him. Every single one had left him because of his, his, his being now of no consequence in prison and in chains. But ah, he was not ashamed in any way whatsoever. It's as if he said, well, they may have left me and it's painful, but really, the end of the day, it doesn't matter. In the end of the day, it's how I am with the Lord. The relationship with this Lord was far more important to him than any relationship on the human level. And that, friends, is how it should be with you and I as well, if we are following the Lord. Whatever shame even may come your way, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. There is something more important to be right between yourself and your God. You see, Paul here say he doesn't care, as it were, what people thought of him in that situation. You see, he didn't allow the shame of being in chains. He didn't allow the shame of being carted off to Rome as a prisoner. He didn't allow, although at one point he was so important, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, he says himself, in his former life. All these things. But none of that was a reason now to hide what he believed, to hide his faith in every way. What an example then to his young friend, Timothy. Setting all these things before him. In a way, you must, Timothy must be thinking as well, is this what lies ahead of me? Why starting off in my ministry and this is what is there for me? These difficulties and not just being a Christian, but particularly appoint a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles, appoint a preacher as Timothy himself was. These things will come your way. But he says, whatever, don't let that stop you. Don't be ashamed in any way whatsoever. And an example to Timothy. But our friends, it's another example to ourselves today, how we should be as well. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in certain company and we find it best to keep silent. And that is not always wrong. But is it not true for you and I very often that far too often our silence condemns us? There is a sense of unwillingness to speak up for our Lord. And ultimately, whatever we say, there's an element of shame, sadly, that is with us in that. And Christian, you will be in many battles in this sinful world we live in. But oh, never be silent when you ought to speak, whatever it's going to cost you. 
Never hide your light, as it were, under a bushel. Never let it be said or even thought by anyone you're in contact with that you are obviously unwilling to speak of the Lord Jesus and therefore that you must be ashamed of your Savior and your profession. What a fearful thing that anyone would go away with that impression. Beware that whenever you meet someone, you part the company from them, that you haven't left any doubts regarding whose you are and whom you seek to serve. Can't imagine Paul ever leaving anyone after being in that company with any doubts about what he believed. Do you know what that's like at times? To walk away from some company and you're just so ashamed of yourself for not having spoken up, for not having witnessed to your Savior, who is here is for us. Maybe some here remember days when you yourself were not a believer, when after having a conversation maybe with someone you knew was a Christian or even been in the company along with others, and when you all part from one another, when he or she are there and you come away thinking, I thought they were Christians. And they never said anything. They didn't behave like Christians. They didn't speak like Christians. Oh, friend, that that would never be said of any of us. That we meet with from day to day. That we're left with, leave them with any doubts of who or what we are or who we serve. And oh, yes, friends, our silence, as much as our speech says much about us at times. Our inaction, as well as our actions, as it were. What we do can speak volumes. What we don't do can speak volumes. And it seems at times our doing or not doing, depending on the circumstances, seems to say that we are ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We have to witness. We have to show it. And as we look ourselves in God willing in a couple of weeks to sit at the Lord's table, what then? What are we saying when we come to sit at the Lord's table? We're saying many things, but one thing we are certainly saying, I am not ashamed. This is where I want to be. This is where I know where I should be. This is what the company I want to keep. This is how I want to show that I love the Lord and not be ashamed in that way whatsoever. You see, the remembrance in that way at the Lord's table of the Lord's death is a wonderful opportunity to show the world whose side we are on and to show I'm not ashamed of this. This is where I want to be. This is where I should be. By the same token, if we have come to know the love of God, the forgiveness of our sins in Christ, and we don't avail ourselves 
of that opportunity to show that public, that holy opportunity, well then, what are we saying if we don't do that? What are we saying if we know that we have been saved? No, I'm not going to do that. Ashamed. Well, Paul would not be in your company hiding his light under a bush. Friends, the witness is so important. To say, and it's not easy at times, whose you are, who you love. The story is told of a little young Christian girl who was ill and she was dying. And her father was a very obvious unbeliever. Indeed, he used to get embarrassed and somewhat ashamed when he was in the company of his little daughter. She used to speak to everyone about the Lord Jesus and witness. And as she's dying, and his heart was broken, of course, as he saw her dying. But she said to him, Father, what will I tell Jesus when I see him? Is the reason that you don't believe. She was not ashamed. And through that, it seems, the words went to his heart like an arrow. When his little daughter passed away, he soon after also came to knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That witness. Oh, my friend, who knows in your own situation, but that your public witness of not ever being ashamed could be the means of God blessing others through that witness. Maybe in your own family. What a wonderful thing, friend, that would be. So the apostle then here, we see that he is not ashamed. Not ashamed. So what do we see then where all this is based on, thirdly? Well, it's obvious faith, he says, for I know whom I have believed. You see, I, I was thinking as I was looking at this, here is the crux of the matter. For I know whom I have believed. Here he is, and as he wrote these words, I can just imagine, as it were, as he wrote these words, that he would underline that part of it. For I know whom I have believed. And that is what it's all about. That's what everything hangs on. The one whose faith is hanging on. Here it is. What is more important than anything else? This assurance that he has in his own soul. That confidence, that trust, that belief that he has. No, friends, this is not an, un an unholy presumption. This is not saying, well, Whatever else, this is sure of this. And, but he has reason to believe it. And he has a good grounding for saying what he is saying. You know, there are times of you, and suddenly it is very common, and has been very common even in our own part of the world, with many good things that we have. But there are some things that we need to consider as well. Times of you expressed by some that no one knows for sure if they are Christians or not. You try telling that to the Apostle Paul. There's this idea, well, you cannot be sure, and therefore such affirm and profess that articulating doubts in that way about salvation 
If you have doubts, it's a mark of grace. Friends, it's far from it. Far from it. Now, of course, I'm not saying at all that a person doesn't have doubts. A person who loves the Lord may not from time to time have thoughts, am I hers or am I not? Of course. Of course. But if it's saying, people find it hard to say, I'm afraid to say, oh, I'm afraid to say I love the Lord. Well, you think like that? Let me ask you, are you then saying, I don't love the Lord? Can you say that? Do you say that? You see, our lack of faith comes far too often from continually looking at ourselves. Too much looking at self and not enough to the Christ who has saved us. Paul was not ashamed. Notice what he says as well. I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. You see, it's about the person of Christ. This is what it's all about. What else do we learn from Paul's assurance of faith? It hasn't arisen from, if you like, a second-hand knowledge, but was from a personal acquaintance. I know whom I have believed. It is a personal acquaintance. It is about in his own experience. I don't need anyone to tell me, as it were. I know in my own experience, and that's what it is. Salvation is a personal experience. I know him in my own experience, what he is saying. I know it in my own heart. Can you say that today? Remember the woman of Samaria, the well of Samaria, after she went to tell others, and then they came and she said, they said to her, now we believe not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. We have heard him ourselves. There you are. There's that personal aspect that is so precious and that what touches the heart of the believer. I have heard him myself. I know what he has done for him. I am going to witness to that. I am not ashamed to do so. And Paul here, this sees by faith beyond the terrible situation he was in. Yes, I'm suffering. Yes, I'm in prison. Yes, many have left me. But I know whom I have believed. There's the focus of it all, friends. That's how it should be for us. And in that way, witness for him. Not be ashamed to do so. And then finally, here we see the full assurance of the apostle as well. I am not ashamed, for I know my belief, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Oh, that wonderful persuasion. Do you remember it, Christian? The day that you were persuaded. Oh, you knew about many things. You knew about Christ. You knew about salvation. You knew that maybe that this is what is needed. You knew all that, but then one day, the persuasiveness, the Spirit of God at work, and you were persuaded. Persuaded. Not just 
for my present situation either, says Paul, but for the future as well, which I have committed unto him against that day, he's able to keep. It is something that he knew for himself, fully assured now. What assurance, what faith he had. Ah, yes, but what a saviour. What a saviour he knew. He is not saying, I'll keep myself. What he's saying, he is able. And that's what we must believe, friends. He is able to keep me. It's about his master, his Lord, not about himself. This is what it's all about for him. And what had he committed unto him? His soul salvation. This is what he is saying here, that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I'm persuaded that he's able to do so. Not keeping myself, his soul. How long will he be sure of it being kept until that day? What day? The day of days. The day of the resurrection morning. He has seen that. It's not just now, he said. It is forever till that day when I will take it to be with him where he is. That's assurance of faith. Whatever the difficulties, however hard it may be. And he says that, that he has committed. I have committed unto him against that day. That which I have committed unto him. That word committed is an interesting word. It's a word, the idea behind it of a deposit. If you like, a safety deposit box of the soul. I have committed it to him. I have committed all to him. And not only has he committed it, as it were, to that safety, safety deposit box, but the key is in his hands. It's in the Savior's hands. Everything is depending upon him. The key is in the hands of the one Paul believed in. Here we see, read friends, a man full of assurance of faith. Oh, you say, yes, that may be true for Paul, but you and I may tremble at times, considering our own standing and our at times wavering assurance before God. But you see, as I said earlier, so often that comes from too much looking at ourselves. Uh, Samuel Rutherford, speaking of assurance, put it this way. He says, remember, your rock is Christ, and it is not the rock which ebbs and flows, but your sea of assurance. In the midst of it all, the rock is set. Your rock is Christ. And it's not the rock which ebbs and flows, but your sea of assurance. Notice also the apostle is not basing his hope on his own suffering in any way whatsoever. You don't have to read many of the epistles to realize that. He's not depending on what he is doing or what he is suffering. Did I not say right into the Corinthians, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed? We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are cast down, but not destroyed. But I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. Dear beleaguered believer here this morning, just as it was inconceivable 
for Paul that the Lord would not be true to his promise to him. You can have that assurance as well. Indeed, you have that assurance. He will never leave nor forsake you. He will not leave you to yourself. You see, great as Paul was, and I I say this with, with care, but I believe it is true, great as Paul was, he was not loved by the Lord Jesus Christ any more than you are. What did he ultimately do for the apostle? The same as he did for you, Christian. He died for you in your room and in your stead. And he rose again for his justification and for your justification. Paul is persuaded, fully persuaded, with full assurance that the work that he had begun, he would continue it. And so, dear friend, in conclusion, so should it be for you and I as well. Making a stand for Christ does come at a cost. Of course it does. For the apostle, it meant prison and much hardship. For us, well, who knows what yet awaits while we're in this world. But whatever, friends, the emphasis surely is never be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, of Christ of the gospel, if you like. Never be ashamed. And especially when you think he was never ashamed of you and was willing to die your death. So how do I show I am not ashamed? Well, it is not being a secret disciple, but witnessing publicly for him, whatever the cost. I know whom I have believed and persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let us pray. <clears throat> oh, blessed Lord, we thank thee that thou art merciful and gracious, and that while we stumble and fall at times, thou art yet near to uplift us and to guide and direct us continually. For Christ, having died for those who love him, we have that assurance that nothing can alter that. But help us, we pray thee, to be better witnesses for thee and never, ever, ever be ashamed to own thee. In whose name we pray it. Amen.